Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, uh, welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast, which is also hosted on YouTube right now. So it'll be... I guess uh, double duty for the podcast and the wrap up live. I'm joined by Zoar Siddiqui, or I'm joining him. I guess it's kind of it's fluid. We don't know who's hosting, but uh, we're here to talk about the Raptors' loss, uh, one twenty five to one thirteen to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, a little bit more of an interesting game than the last one, as far as a reality standpoint, as far as like a basketball philosophy standpoint. Maybe a little bit less interesting, considering. You know, the outcomes of both and the play styles of both. But Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris back in tow. Joel Embiid in particular affecting the outcome of the game, I think, greatly. The Raptors having some trouble navigating the middle of the floor, ultimately falling 125 to 113. But with a bunch of fun stuff happening in concert with that. What are your initial takeaways from this one, Sarar? I think, um, you know, you have to look at it in the lens of preseason, uh, obviously. Uh, and... I think the, the first thing you noticed was the different approach that Nick Nurse took uh, between the first game and the second game. Whereas in the first one, he I think he made a concerted effort to uh, try, you know, Delano Banton and Scotty Barnes together and see how that length uh, lineup would work together. And, um, and again, the point that Alvin Williams made at the end of the last game was pretty good, where he said uh, this was a game where they, they were really trying to test whether players of very similar skill sets could play together. I think that was the purpose of the first preseason game. Whereas this one, I think uh, they went for a more traditional approach with Fred playing a lot more minutes that he had. Uh, and he, you saw the offense run in a more, again, a traditional way. So I think in, in the first two preseason games, regardless of what the outcome is, the outcome hardly matters in these things. But you saw two very different approaches, at least towards uh, the Raptors' offense. And, you know, and there were mixed results um, today i think it was almost like the raptors tasting a bit of their own medicine from game one where where the length in that game bothered philly you could see how philly's length in this game bothered fred especially for 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 large parts of this game yeah it's really interesting what do you think of the idea that the raptors are portraying themselves like part of the the elevator pitch they say we're versatile we can play any way but in actuality they can only play like one way given the current roster this year. And Andre Drummond gave them fits on the off as far as their rebounding and trying to defend him at the bucket in game one. Luckily he's not a vaunted defender like Joel Embiid is. And then you see the return on investment as far as Embiid changing the, com- the middle of the floor completely for the Raptors. What do you think about that as far as how the team works and that, they may have to be married to one style of play, similar to the way they were last year. They were so dependent on points in transition, huge droughts offensively because they took so many threes. Uh, do you have any optimism for a versatile style of play offensively? Because defensively, I think they can do a few different things. Um, yeah, I, I think it really depends. With this lineup without Pascal Siakam there, it's very difficult to kind of evaluate what the Raptors are in a, in a, in a, in a, in a proper setup. But uh, I think one thing that became evident today, and again, with the caveat of preseason, is that you know 
I think teams are kind of clued on to the fact that when Fred has the ball, they will throw length at him and force him to make these passes, especially when he gets into the um, in, in, into the paint. And that, like, if, if you're Nick Nurse, you are probably a little bit worried on how Fred will react to the uh, to, to those situations. Um, I, I also think the on the on the flip side, you also saw how the Raptors. Because 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 they don't really have like well Cam Birch wasn't there today so again another caveat uh, that how how forced they were to double on Embiid because they just could not contain Embiid in any sort of configuration whether it was OG coming and doubling him or whether it was Achua or you saw Barnes come back to double him so they they even defensively they have a they will struggle against teams with bigger centers offensively I share your not pessimism, but cynicism in whether they'll be able to uh, muster it together. Um, but I think it really depends on how well or how much Pascal Siakam, who I, who I thought last year was, you know, one of their best ball handlers, comes back and is able to help out Fred. Because you, you can't do some of the things you were doing against Fred against Pascal. Because Pascal can make that outlet pass. He won't get bothered by length. He won't struggle in the paint. Uh, so I think it's it's very difficult to kind of be negative on this team based on this one, but, but I, but I do share, but I do see where you're coming from on offensively. We may be limited. Yeah. It's interesting, especially because we're talking about, well, we'd like to see the team once Pascal joins them, but that's not like a couple of preseason games away. He's not going to hop on and neither is Boucher. These guys are going to be out for maybe close to like 15 games of the season, maybe even 20. Uh, Boucher probably comes back a little bit earlier, but they, they are going to have to exist, especially offensively without them. The Birch note was interesting about Embiid as far as defense because the Raptors would throw a flurry of defenders at Embiid even when they had Gasol on the team. He's just so much of a load to take care of. And uh, I am very interested given Drummond's success offensively. And then obviously the 76ers off the start of the game, they didn't have much interest in getting any type of deep post position for Embiid. They're running a lot of actions above the break, just dribble handoff sets, Miami, Chicago, and doing that kind of stuff probably to get their ball handlers engaged and to get some advantages downhill, get them making decisions against a, a defense in motion, which the Raptors were. But you could tell that as soon as they wanted to get Embiid in the low post, it was just unbridled bully ball, which yeah. was... It's a tough pill to swallow to see the team try and compete against that because even with Ken Birch, who is, you know, he has been labeled as a center by basketball reference and by the Magic and then the Raptors, I think, every single year of his career. But as far as like his physical profile is not that much bigger than a guy like Precious Achua either. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of Precious, like, um, like if I can play this one clip where he actually did play good defense against against Embiid and he did the job right even then you mm -hmm. saw uh, essentially an outcome uh sort of like this right i mean this is this is good d here by Achua and you know he Embiid's far away but still i mean that that's that's good defense and i think um sometimes you sort of have to resign yourself uh that you know you did the best you could and in in the, in this situation i think what the best the Raptors can hope for is a shot like that, is to keep Embiid out of the paint. So despite good defense, you saw some you saw some um, negative outcomes for the Raptors, which I think you 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 will you will face when you when you um, you know face talent like Embiid. Yeah, he he can defy whatever defensive game plan you throw at him. 
Offensively, um, I'd like to touch on Scotty and OG Ananobi, and maybe OG first. Um, what is your sense of sleepwalking to points? And particularly when Drummond was in the game, you could watch out OG. They give him those high post possessions or 45 extended possessions, very similar to what we've been seeing Pascal getting for the past couple of years. It's pretty lazy, but that's what the Raptors do with their guys who they want to feed possessions to. His reads against the weak side defense, particularly as a passer, were really, really inspired when Drummond was on the floor. But when Embiid was kind of mucking up the middle of the paint, we mm. saw a few turnovers, some runouts on the other end that ended up with Curry um, hitting a couple threes for Goncourt Mons and stuff like that. But overall process-wise, what did you think of the OGN and OB experience? I think I just played the, you know, this clip uh, where I don't know where it went. Um, I think it was, I think it was this one, you know, uh, and I think I posted this on Twitter too. And everybody's so excited just about the fact that he can uh, hear, you know, this one. Uh, is it this one? No, it's, it's this one, I think. Yeah. Where OG is just so confident in the face-up situation now, right? I mean, you saw one of these shots uh, in, in the previous game as well. Uh, and you, and you saw it again today. Um, you know, I know I'll tackle Scotty and OG at the same time because they both are making excellent reads. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I found that Scotty, I, I was trying to think when the last time the Raptors had a guy who, uh, you know, so here's the clip I'm talking about where they had a guy who was so willing to go into the block and the Raptors were looking to generate their offense from the block. Because they had confidence in a guy who could who could pass out of these out of these post up situations that we're seeing on the screen, uh, you know, we, you talked about offense in the previous question. This is a new dimension to the Raptors' offense, if if I can dare to say. I mean, we did it with Siakam a little bit last year, but I haven't seen this sort of concerted effort to go into the block and operate from there. But overall, you know, OG is just he, he makes me so happy, man. Like he, he's he, he's he's a source of happiness for me this season and. His reads, his defensive reads, even even you, there's a couple of plays today where um, Philadelphia was trying to you know bring the ball up the court, and he hung back in the backcourt just to supply that additional pressure for one second, which knocked off like six seven seconds off the clock because Philly had to get another guy to to get the ball in. So he's making all these little plays on the on the court, and it's just a sign of maturity. And you can see that the fact that he's been exposed to the game for the last couple of years in high minute situations, he's just soaking it in. And you're now seeing results of that learning. So I, I am right now, I enjoy the Raptors in three configurations. One, when OG is has the ball and, and he is sort of orchestrating. Second, when Gary Trent um, is going basically mini Kobe. Uh, I know I, I know you're shaking your head because you think it's like one-on-one play. And the third is Scotty Barnes in the block. Those are my three favorite Raptors offensive sets so far. I, I'll contend the the Gary Trent Jr. mini Kobe thing is like Kobe is an athletic freak and could get to the bucket and was slithery and sometimes just chose not to. Gary Trent Jr., you can see, I think he had six drives off the bounce and every single one of them was stonewalled. Good for him that he is a good shooter off the bounce. And last year he had a really rough shooting season with the Raptors, but that's something that's in his bag. That is something that Raptors fans should be optimistic about is that given the rest of the guys on the team, if you could choose anybody to take a shot off the bounce, like a close-up comes out, it's a pound dribble into space. Gary Trent Jr. is a pretty solid bet for that. And speaking of... Isn't that going back to your previous point where 
um, you know, the Raptors offense, we both agree that is liable to get into droughts, is liable to kind of suffer. So you sort of need a guy like Gary Trent who can sort of create not magic out of nothing, but at least some points out of nothing. I'm not saying it's a source, it's a strategy that you adopt to get your offense, but he is, at least on the floor tonight, he was after OG, probably the guy you felt most confident in getting a score with the exception of Flynn down down the stretch. Like, Don't you need that guy who can sort of create something out of nothing? This is maybe, we might differ philosophy-wise, but uh, Gary Trent Jr., I think, is part and parcel of drought basketball. 17 of 19 game last year, and then shot like 36% the rest of the year. He he is drought. He is like the, the high water, and then you get the really low, like Lake Mead, and, you know, they're going to start, turning the taps off in California because there's no more water in the world, that type of stuff. Like, But Gary Trent Jr., it's the diversity of shots that you create. And Fred Van Vliet creates a lot of three-point shots because he passes out of drives at a higher rate than virtually any other player. Kyrie Irving on the other end passes out of like only 28% of drives. And Fred creates a lot of three-point shots that way. The Raptors created a lot of three-point shots with post-ups last year. You showed a clip of Scotty Barnes. They gave him a low post. Precious Achua cut through the middle. It it did bring a little bit of the defense in, and then the ball went to OG. He had a pound dribble going to his right and hit a mid-range pull-up. Functionally, that play is the exact same as something they would have ran with Pascal last year, only OG is a little bit more confident off the bounce. He would always pound dribble to his left and pull up from three. He wouldn't take it to the mid-range, and he would probably miss if he did. And having a guy like Precious cut through has a little bit more potency than a guy like Bain. So it's... I don't think Gary Trent Jr. offers like the type of savior thing, although his his skill set is diverse, is unique on the roster, I would say. But mm-hmm. I don't he'll save some possessions totally. And if he has a simplified role, I yeah. think he's gonna be like definitely a plus offensively, especially if he gets to play next to guys like Dragic and Siakam when he comes back and there's like a lot of rotation, he gets to spot up and all that. But as far as like creation off the dribble. Is it super viable to, you know, put the offense on and then you'd have a good offense? I don't think so. But anyway, uh, Scotty and OG. OG, I was super impressed because last year, if anybody's familiar with my work at RR, the written stuff, I tracked OG and Pascal in particular, who guarded them, what type of shot on everything. And OG had, I think, an 0 for 29 stretch on pull-up threes last year. And he's had a pull-up three in each of these games and that pound dribble to his right, he never shoots going to his right, I think speaks to a lot of work put in the gym. It speaks to his overall confidence and his balance because he is a really long-limbed guy. And you look at a, a jumper like Emmett Rant, for example, it ha- there's a lot of machinations going on. There's a lot of movement. And to get that all synced up is tough. OG, a guy who isn't known for synchronicity, especially you know dynamic synchronicity, you can watch him knee like six guys right in the junk because he can't get his body correctly on fast breaks and stuff. But to see him improving in that way, getting his body to the same spot and hitting shots off the bounce, that I, that is a huge point of optimism, I think, for any Raptors fan right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all agree that OG, OG is the man right now. Uh, and, and I think, um, you know, sometimes we talk about, uh, you know, who has the higher ceiling. And remember, 
three years ago, a friend of mine asked me like, hey, who has the higher ceiling, Pascal or OG? And I was like, what a dumb question. What a dumb question. Of course, Pascal, of course, dumbass. Don't talk to me again. But now if you ask that same question back, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I have a straight answer to that one. So I, I agree with you that OG is exciting. With Trent, I mean, I, I see, I, I, I like what you said about his uh, simplified goals. I think he should have simplified goals. Sometimes when you're, when you're 22, 23, I think you, you maybe have um, some, some rash confidence and you're trying to take over the game because you have you know, some visions of grandeur. And I think the Raptors need to sort of peg them back, especially in a game like this where, where your main guy is missing in Siakam. You know, players can sometimes go like, you know, this is my chance to show that I, am, that I can step in. So I think there's, there may be an element of that going on in, in Gary Trent that, that maybe forced him into some of these shots that were, but by, by all admission, not, not the highest quality, even though some of them did go in. Uh, yeah. One last thing on Trent is on a basketball court, you're trying to create the maximum amount of advantages, not the maximum amount of finishes, I think, from a philosophical standpoint. And Gary Trent Jr., if you watch any basket he makes, the defense is set next to him. Like, he's not getting guys to come over and help. He's he's pretty much he's hanging out in the same spot and he will be defended one on one a lot of the time. Like, look at that. You know, George Nang wasn't even paying attention to him and he's the next guy over. The guy in low help didn't even come over like stuff like that. They're not super worried about it. They know that he's going to shoot a jumper and it's a good thing he hits him, but he does not affect change in the defense. So you are relegated to just his shot making, which can put you in a pretty hairy position every once in a while. But shot making is king in the NBA. So like hell yeah, Gary Trent, if they put him in positions to make shots, like all the love to him here, he's, you know, he got a big contract. Go earn it, brother. Like, do your thing. And yeah, that, that's my, is you want to create opportunities. That's why Goran Dragic, who has been like very muted in these preseason games, but who knows if that's an indicator of anything, right? Even Fred has been to some degree. Uh, like Pascal Siakam is, how often are you getting the defense in rotation? Because that makes not only you more valuable, but everybody else on the floor more valuable. I think Gary Trent Jr. kind of operates in his own bubble because he will create exclusively for Gary Trent Jr., which you know, can be good and can be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do want to bring, bring one point up, and I think um, it, it relates to uh, Scotty Barnes a little bit because, you know, one of the knocks against him is that he can't shoot. And, and that's, a, that's a very fair point. He can't shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I, I don't think his shot is as broken as I honestly thought. I, I didn't see him much in college, but from what I can see, uh, I don't think it's a broken shot by any means. Um, but it, it's interesting to see him justify his playing time despite not being a, not being a high percentage shooter and you know th- th- there were like two two sequences today where um he he basically it, it his his hustle and, and i'll now play the first one here just resulted in 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 in, in, in a, i think i think you wanted this clip too i think at the start mm-hmm. right so this is a fred three that came just because scotty timed his jump uh, perfectly um, and there's another play very similar to this one, I think right after, right before, where the same thing happened. So kudos to Scotty for for playing so well that you're not even worried about a shooting. Yeah, my favorite thing about that play that you showed is that Raptors fans should remember it. In like Kevin Herter got a lot of love for the Hawks this past year because of just being an incredible glue guy through their playoff series. And Raptors fans will remember Tony Snell's game-winning shot against the Raptors when the Raptors were trying to get back into things. So you see OG Ananobi has a wide-open shot there. 
that's a product of Scotty Barnes' offensive movement. He cut against the weak side zone, and OG Ananobi, he he levels, he comes up, he slips up, and it's Scotty's cut that opens up the weak side of the floor and a great pass by Fred. And then another positive play, he taps it back out, and Fred makes a three. Like that type of movement is very very heady, and that's the type of stuff that to grease the wheels of the offense when you don't shoot, you have to be able to do. And this is stuff that Draymond Green does in his sleep like these these in-between guys who are just adding positives to almost every single aspect of the game but sometimes their shooting can be funky sometimes they have no shot at all Larry Nance Jr. is another example of a guy who is of a similar physical profile to Scotty albeit less explosive maybe Uh, that's actually probably a little bit crazy to say Larry Nance Jr. is pretty explosive especially when he came into the league but that type of play is a really good indicator of how he'll grease the wheels of the offense and make himself valuable despite not being a good shooter. And his shot, apparently they're switching what finger he releases off of. That's a pretty big change. Uh-huh. So any type of rapid ascension is probably not coming, although Raptors fans have gotten used to that from projects and stuff. Like They, they seem to be able to make a spot shooter out of anybody now. And Kem Birch and Precious Achu will probably be a pretty good case study in that as well yeah. this year. And, you know, we, we, hustle is is expected of a rookie, sort of. Uh, but at the same time, it's also his, you know, he's with the ball in his hand. Like, he's finding people. Like, it's it's not like he's just a hustle guy out there who's 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 getting offensive rebounds. Like, th- this play right here, I think I think this is the one. Um, no, he's not even on the court on this one. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but there are a few Scotty plays where where he he racked up a nice little assist by like looking off the defense and passing to the wing so more as long as you know for for a young nba player like what's the most important thing to get playing time so he has to somehow justify that playing time to his coach and he does enough little things on the on the court that i think over the course of the season he he will get that consistent playing time and you know as somebody's you know once said playing playing time minutes of the currency of the nba and as long as he gets those, I don't think I have any doubts that this guy will elevate his game and, and continue doing so because he, he certainly has all the physical tools. He seems to have the hustle. Um, he's willing to learn from everything that I that I have read. So the future's bright. I hate the Jalen Suggs comparisons, by the way. I, I you know I saw a YouTube video where some guy was like, "Well, Jalen Suggs sucked in his first game." I'm like, "Shut up." Shut up. That's yeah. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Something to that effect. Yeah. I saw the the chat mention C. Mikhailuk. He is such an interesting player because when you watch him, you can tell he creates advantages through very intelligent movement on ball, off ball. Like if he's in a two man action or a three man action, he makes those actions inherently much more potent because he's such a clever mover. He knows how to move to open up other people. He knows how to find himself. He, he hunts space, kind of like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, those guys do in Miami. It's it's something it's a very cerebral part of his game. And you can see it's starting to multiply because he played with the Pistons and then he played with OKC. And when you're that type of player, the advantages you create become far more valuable once you're playing next to other good players and good passers. And now you can see he and Scotty have linked up on a few back cuts and stuff like that. I'm really excited. Svi, I think, will end up being just a fantastic pickup. He's a guy who, and you don't want to get into like contract stuff, but... He's basically on a minimum contract and he's probably going to give you like he's not going to be Caruso level for the Lakers. But Svi Mikhailuk, even something like in the first game of the preseason, Matisse Tybel, who erroneously 
uh, by the media was voted onto an all defense team last year. He cheated Svi's route on a pin down and Svi backtracked it and then got a driving lane out of it and then gave a dunk off pass for a dunk. Like that type of stuff is really, really important for ancillary players to do. And for Svi to take like rudimentary rote actions and to create advantages out of that kind of stuff, which he's been doing every single moment he's on the floor. Hell yeah. I think that means he's really scalable. I think that he'll play in very, very effective five-man units. If there are many for the Raptors this year, I expect them to be a part of it. And he can shoot it. And that hasn't been a huge part of his game because he's been so in the mix, like headed down toward the bucket, screening, slipping, all that kind of stuff, making little, you know, dump-off passes. But uh, the shooting will come around in a big way, I think, once he's playing off of guys like Siakam, once he's back in the lineup and stuff like that. I, I really like his feet. You, you covered him pretty you know, pretty thoroughly there. I mean, uh, the only thing I'll add to that is uh, he's also quite physical. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's probably one of the one of our most physical guards, uh, and which is which is always good for uh, this, the bench. I, I always feel it should be more physical than finesse. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's old school mentality, but I'm always for the bench being super physical and out muscling the uh, the other team's bench. So he brings that. Um, and if I can make a make a comp, and maybe I'll get ripped for this one, but he reminds me a little bit of Malcolm Brogdon, in in, in a way where he can shoot, he has physical, good pull up game, can drive as well. Obviously not as mature or experienced, but I can see him developing towards that kind of player. Where I mean, he's not, maybe he's not going to get the contract that Brogdon gets, but in a very similar vein, I, I, I can see him contributing to the to the Raptors. I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a really fun comp, especially when like Malcolm Brogdon, when I think of his game, there's like, he's a very brutish pick and roll player or dribble handoff guy. Like the amount of actions, especially with the, well, his, his career is basically, you know, evenly with the Bucks and Pacers now, but whether it was two man actions with Giannis or two man actions with Sabonis, like you can see him grapple guys into dribble handoffs and push off and reroute and all that kind of stuff. And Svi He's a grappler in the middle of those actions, those two-man actions, those three-man actions. And that's part of why he's so effective is that, like, he's grappling and then bursting into space. Uh, Also, a quick shout-out to – there is a play. I didn't ask you to clip it, but I thought it was a fantastic, you know, another indicator of where Scotty Barnes is and his sense, his uh, proprioception. Uh, He slipped a pick-and-roll that was being hedged by the 76ers, and Malachi Flynn, equally as impressive – rerouted the pick and roll went between the legs came back around and hooked the pass to him for a dunk and for two of the raptors young guys to problem solve a hedge on a pick and roll a particularly aggressive hedge into that play was awesome i really liked seeing that so a uh, big shout out to them i hope they get quite a few pick and roll possessions this year because there isn't much of an indication that any of birch uh precious or pascal siakam are particularly good rollers but Scotty and OG, I think, have both shown Scotty more so at Florida State. But both those guys have shown, I think, a little bit of viability as rollers and a good sense for the pacing and the the footwork, like the gather dribble for the dunk or whatever else, right? So, yeah, uh, cool to see them link up on a play like that. By the way, yeah, I mean the be- the bench has to find its rhythm, uh, has to find its rhythm, and I think Jack made that point as well. It sometimes the bench just elevates its game when you find when they play with the right people, as you mentioned. I think I think that comp it's always like you know the start of the fourth quarter. You always have like two starters, three bench guys, and you're always wondering what are the two starters that work with the best three bench guys. I think those are the questions that you sort of have to answer. 
Um, and, and unfortunately, you can't answer those un until Siakam is here. I guess you sort of can in the, in the interim. But I think those are the open questions that even preseason can't can't really solve for you or answer for you. You just sort of have to wait. Wait. Um, I you know people write comments on on the wrap up, and um, this guy wrote a lot. D Ned, um, your, your thoughts and and his, and his point was because because I observed this one too. Uh, one thing from last year that sort of has carried on is this this aggressive Raptors perimeter defense. And you know last year I sort of I sort of complained about it. I was like we're getting burned just way mm -hmm. too frequently on this one. But this year, I sort of have seemed to embrace it <laughs> almost as that that sort of is the Raptors. And maybe that is our philosophy. Maybe maybe this is not a case of holding back on the aggressive closeouts. Maybe the aggressive closeouts are the strategy and we just have to be get better at rotations. Like what's what's your thought on the carryover of uh, the, the rotation uh, enthusiasm? I think that it's... I now I'm I'm just some schmuck. I'm not Nick Nurse, but I do think it is extremely optimistic and not lazy, but just why he doesn't and especially last year, why he didn't change the defensive schematics whatsoever, given who was on the team, because the Raptors, like as you could just see on screen, that is a fairly simplistic action. It's like a flare and then a guy's coming into open space and it just completely buckles the whole defense. And it's because these guys aren't working in unison with each other. And the Raptors, they achieved the high watermark in, well, the run to the championship was fantastic. If somebody is talking about that Raptors team and isn't putting them up as one of the best defensive teams of the past 20 years, then I think they have the wrong idea about what the team is. But the team now is so far removed from that. And especially like Gary Trent Jr., a guy who was getting blown by quite a bit tonight, and we saw it get blown by a lot during the regular season last year. And a guy who, you know, his help side rotations can be a bit toothless. Uh, toothful uh, help side rotations would be like, you know, dig downs from Fred Van Vliet. If he's coming over, the offensive player is going to feel it. There's too many players now where you're not going to feel their presence if they're digging in on you. And not to mention, the Raptors don't contain perimeter defense well enough to be as you know, as scrambly as they are, because as I talked about earlier in reference to, you know, offensive philosophy for the Raptors, it's about the amount of advantages you create because when advantages compound, you get a really easy shot and you could see it in that clip you played is that a wide open three came of it. The Raptors didn't create that many of those in this game and the 76ers had many. And when we think of the Raptors and how they used to play defense, and it was that they would scramble, but at the back end of it all was always a guy in Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol who could legitimately defend the rim with two feet on the ground. They don't have that type of length. They don't have the guile and they don't have the weight. They just do not guard the rim very well. And so they're, nobody's being veered away from the bucket. When you think of that championship Raptors team, you can, you can see guys get past the, the closeout put two dribbles onto the ground and decide to reroute and pass back out above the break because they knew who was looming in the paint. Now, and especially last year, like Aaron Baines is not as good a mover as Marcus all was, or even Serge Ibaka. And then this year it's like precious Achua who is starting out farther and has to make a, a, a much harder rotation to the bucket. And then a rotation where a guy is in motion is, you know, as we saw last year, a lot of fouls. 
you're going to send guys to the line, which is really easy points. And the Raptors, they don't contain it well enough, and they don't have good enough rim protectors to try and work that style. I think that, particularly with guys like OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, Fred Van Vliet, it would behoove them to play a more conservative style of defense and let those guys one-on-one chop show. And then, of course, Pascal Siakam is always going to play like a rover role. Scotty Barnes, of all the scouts I've talked to, that's they envision him closer to that than, say, like a one-on-one stopper, a superstar shot suppressor like OG. And you can see this, the seeds of Scotty Barnes' defense like that, but I, I do not think that type of defense is conducive to success this year because you have to have five guys on a string. And if you have four guys on a string and one guy is not, then the defense just doesn't work. And it's not that you're close to something. It's that it just does not work. And we saw that last year where you have three all defense level guys on the floor and the defense is still really, really bad. It's just such a high level type of, it's a high level style of defense to pull off. And they don't have the, they don't have the guys to do it currently. I mean, you can always try and punch up and that maybe it pays off down the road, but I, I think it would it would make sense to go a little bit more conservative and let guys shine in a couple other spots rather than this insane flying around the court uh, defense that they've been running uh, unsuccessfully now for a few months. Yeah, and I think um, I think this this sort of sounds very similar to last year. And I think last year towards the end of the season, we sort of convinced ourselves that we had plugged the gap with Cambridge to some degree. So how, how much do you think? Kem Birch allows them to do this more. And obviously he's not Mark Gasol or Serge Ibaka, uh, but do, do you think his presence would allow that? Would they get away with it with a guy like Kem Birch there? Or do you think even more cover is needed if they want to continue playing this sort of defense? I think maybe if Scotty Barnes was a couple years progressed past, like he, he'll probably end up as a positive defender, especially by like catch all metrics because he's, going to end up on the positive side of a lot of turnovers, I think. But rookies, and especially rookies who are big men, typically don't operate as positive defenders because guards, you know, at any level operate in proximity to the guy they're guarding. But bigs operate in proximity to the basket. And when the dimensions of the floor change at the NBA level, the rotations you've made your whole life, they change completely. Like a step here, doesn't cover a step in college or a step in college doesn't cover a step in the NBA. You're like three feet farther away from the basket. So bigs like the quirks and rhythms of an NBA offense, typically it takes them longer to get accustomed to it. I think we're going to see growing pains. Like Scotty was a couple steps too far on quite a few rotations tonight when he's trying to, you know, problem solve defensively, the Raptors are left quite vulnerable. But when he got within himself and just lean on his inherent advantages, like when the Raptors are just long and kind of gumming up, you know, a simplistic action that the other team is doing, then you feel it. But when they're scrambling, you don't really feel it. Not like past years. And it's because there isn't that stopgap at the rim. And Birch, I don't think, is that stopgap at the rim. I think he's a lot closer to, you know, Precious Achua and Birch are both going to be great, I think, when the Raptors play zone. And I think the Raptors will play a lot of zone this year. But as far as playing that scramble defense where you're funneling guys to certain spots on the floor, I don't think Birch is the, the I don't think he solves the problem there. Although I had this conversation with Lewis and he was way more optimistic uh, than me. So if anybody who's listening wants to hear like the optimistic take, uh, you can go read 
I transcribed it on the A Word of Blurb part two of Kim Birch from what uh, what Lewis said. And and he thought maybe the Raptors could end up top three or top four defensively this year. So if you want the optimism, uh, go elsewhere, because I'm not giving it to you, unfortunately. Fair enough. Uh, no, I, I share your uh, cynicism about Kem Birch, too. Uh, I, I do think the closeouts are a tad bit aggressive. And, and the thing about them is that they don't need to be aggressive. There's no, there's no, there's nothing necessitates uh, OG flying at a guy because OG is a good defender in any position, mm-hmm. except when he's not in front of you, which is what he is when he's jumping at people. So I, I, I think even if they close out and give space in the closeout, which is what you're most concerned about when you're closing out, you don't want to, you know, get, give up a clean shot. Even if you close out and you give up a couple of couple of feet, I still think that that'll result in better outcomes than just taking yourself completely out of the equation. Uh, and given, you know, last year Nurse tinkered a lot in the first few months of the season. So far in the two games, he's tinkered a lot. It, it's just, I would be surprised to see him not tinker with that aspect of the defense either. It, it's the one aspect that I think he hasn't necessarily experimented with over the last couple of years. And I'm waiting for that to happen. And if this is a development season where you are supposed to see what works and what doesn't, I would imagine you would see a different configuration on defense as well, not just the same old, same old. Yeah, it's been interesting that the players now are much better at relocating after the catch, like that sidestep pound dribble into space. It used to be that guys who couldn't shoot the three very well, it was standstill. If If they put a dribble down, it had to be like a dribble and a collect and a beat, and then they could make a shot. Like Shane Battier, when he was playing with the Heatles, wasn't like doing this you know, this drop dribble into space, collecting and then hitting a three, like even what we see Jay Crowder do with the Suns last year or the Heat before that. Spot-up shooters now are way better at evading closeouts because closeouts got a lot better over the past few years. So the adjustment has come from the offense. And I think, yeah, the Raptors are a little bit behind the eight ball as far as how they view closeouts because it's nice to see Chris Boucher get a block on a three-point shot every blue moon, but he is going to like put somebody in the ER every third game because he's jumping into the stands and there's like, you know, a dribble and then a lob to the guy in the dunker spot like that. Those breakdowns are, are kind of tough to swallow, but uh, is there a Justin Champagne? What do you think of him? I think he's really interesting because he's showing out as a guy who could maybe punch. Certainly he looks like a guy who's going to earn a roster spot, but would maybe punch up at a, a rotation spot while Siakam and Boucher are out. What have you thought of him so far? Uh, well, I, I'm trying to figure out what his name is. Uh, I think uh, I saw Devlin call it Campaigny. Champagne. Champagne? Is that what? Okay. okay. Cham- well, Champagne, I think it is. Okay. All but right. uh, I think he was calling him Champagne. Okay. If, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so uh, uh, my, um, he was pretty, he, he was, he's been good in both games. Uh, what stood out for me was his off the ball movement. Uh, very good off the ball. Seems to sense when his teammates are in trouble and moves into the uh, in, in, into the right position. So I, I have this like one. Um, I don't know if this the shot even counted, but this is towards the end of the the first half where he just like kind of you know slithered his way down to the rim, just behind Drummond. I, I think Philly was playing a bit of a zone, and uh, he he just he just kind of knew where to be. And there's a few instances where he did things like this on the court. So whenever you have a guy like that, coaches love that. Coaches mm-hmm. love guys who move without the ball and keep the defense moving, especially in a zone where you're always trying to find the weak spot in the zone. So if, if, if teams throw the zone against the Raptors, 
he will be Nick Nurse will probably look to him and guys like I don't know maybe Barnes to a lesser degree, but he can't shoot. But I, I don't know. But maybe Barnes too. But, but OG OG is the de facto zone bus. Yes, on yes. The Raptors so, but, right now. Champagne has shown that he can play in a zone because he's so well in reading the game without necessarily having the ball in his hand. That's that's what I've been really interested, in. and this is kind of what happened last year. Was there were a couple guys who popped like Bembry had shown a pretty keen sniffer for finding space. Like he could sniff it out and he could put himself in opportunities. Stanley Johnson, no. Yuta Watanabe was a little bit too passive because, you know, when he found space, he wasn't willing to take advantage of it. And at least now we're seeing Yuta, who was injured in this game, I guess a calf strain in practice. Hopefully that's something that translates over. But the Raptors role players last year, weren't particularly aggressive offensively. And now we're seeing with Svi uh, Champagne, I think it's pretty, those are those are two pretty fun guys, especially in a team that's going to be play, playing a slew of guys who maybe would occupy the end of bench elsewhere. But Champagne, uh, there's, there's guys who you see, like the way they operate on the floor, they it's like prescient almost, like Dune. Like yeah. Paul Atreides, he's, he sees what's going to happen. And the sheer amount of rebounds he grabbed in his college career, and now that he's grabbing in preseason games, the slick rotations, just being able to find space offensively, those are fun guys to bet on because you wonder, like, if they interpret the game that well, what else does that manifest in as far as their skills? And, like, how good do they get at all the other minute aspects of basketball? And then those are super fun players anyway. And, and did you uh, did you catch Devlin say this during the broadcast that apparently he had interest from like several teams and he he wanted to play with the Raptors and he turned down maybe some other NBA clubs too. So uh, certainly he sees he he's if that is true, and I have no reason to believe that Devlin's lying to us on the broadcast, uh, that he that he he sees the Raptors' style of play conducive to him, and the first two games have sort of shown shown why. If if I was a guy, like I, I mean, the Raptors have had. If I was maybe if I was a guard, I wouldn't want to go to the Raptors, and maybe that's what happened with Sharif Cooper, who threw. Oh my God, the alley-oopy through the John Collins, where John Collins climbed all over and just. That if you can look it up, uh, viewer, listener, like John Collins, Sharif Cooper dunk, it's insane. One of the craziest dunks I've seen. But Sharif Cooper, a guard who was, went, I think he was like the second last pick in the draft. If I can, Oh, wait, sorry. He was 48th right after the Raptors, a couple draft picks. Um, maybe he didn't want to go to the, the Raptors because a lot of times second round picks are negotiating where they want to go quite often. And a guy like Champagne, if I was a wing or a big and I saw the Raptors, I'd be like, hell yeah, that's the place I want to go. They're going to teach me how to shoot and they're probably going to give me playing time. And that's yeah. been the case even since like DeMar DeRozan was with the team. If Malcolm Miller was looking for a spot and they said, well, you're going to go play next to Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. You just have to defend and shoot threes. And so he got to hang around and develop. The Raptors have been a haven for guys like that for, for a long time. I'm just interested to see when they really hit on a big man because some teams do, some teams don't. And the Raptors have been really good at kind of churning out three and D adjacent players. And I want to see them hit on a big because they already they got Fred as far as the guard. And they have Pascal as far as like this, you know, wing big crossover, but he's he's really trending towards a wing as far as like his skill set. So I want to see them get like a really good big man, I think would be not Jokic. That's obviously way too greedy, but 
I think, you know, a super funky big man who plays the five would be, that's the dream. If a guy like that signs with the Raptors, like, uh, I guess it'd be Harry Giles before he got injured or maybe uh, Vernon Carey Jr. with the Hornets or something like that, I think. I have my fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, sure. I mean, if they can get a wing, I mean, uh, a, a big, that'd be great. Uh, I, I was, you know, I think we're getting off top from the reaction uh, podcast. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 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 big, the big thing is, uh, I mean, we can come back to the offseason shenanigans of like Rashawn Holmes and all that stuff. But I mean, that's probably a topic for another day. Oh, Rashawn. God, do I love him. Uh, what did you uh, What did you think of the Raptors as far as uh, getting out in transition? Was that still a point of pride for you in this game? Because everybody was super, super hyped up about that after game one of the preseason. I mean, uh, transition is such a it's such an unreliable way to form mm-hmm. a, a team that you can only get excited about it in spurts. You you cannot pause if, if I every time I hear. Oh, this team is gonna like run a lot. You know what comes to my mind? The Jay Triano teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? 70 points at half, you know, 130 in the game, but they lose 140, 130. Um, and I'm not saying this Raptor team is, is as poor as, as that team was defensively, but I just don't think it's a sustainable method of development because teams can slow pace down. You, you, you are not in full control of the pace of the game. If you if, if it was entirely up to you to dictate pace, great. That's a, that's a good strategy. But when it's, in, it's not in your control to dictate pace, that becomes a bad strategy. Golden State is a great example because, you know, I always say talent dictates pace. If you, if you mm-hmm. got more talent, you will dictate pace of the game. No problem about it, right? Golden State did that for years and, and they were successful with it. But if you if you don't have the talent and you try to dictate pace, you're going to be successful 30% of the time. Well, even that's a great point, too, is like the the team with the highest win total in the regular season of all time, 73 win Warriors, they lost the game seven, 93 to 89, because LeBron said, you're not going to run. And the one position you run on, I'm going to block the hell out of Andre Iguodala. Like, Saying, oh, we get out in transition, it's kind of funny because Nick Nurse was recognized as, you know, other coaches or execs in the league were like, well, he's running like high school defense or whatever. And that his offensive philosophy appears at times to be exactly that of the first like 30 minutes of Coach Carter. Like, we're just going to run and we'll score the ball fine. We're going to outlast them. And it seems like quite rudimentary. Obviously, it's not. But the, the optics are kind of funny for that. Yeah, I, I I can never get excited about uh, and and also because I'm a I'm I'm a bit of a you know I grew up in the '90s watching basketball, so I was very much of the half court variety, and it's kind of I'm kind of biased towards the slow grinded out game. Um, and, and I remember in the, in those years, like Phoenix was the team, even even back in the day, uh, who who was the up or, or actually pretty much the, the you know everybody on the West, like the Clippers. Uh, or, or like a, maybe the Lakers came and added a bit of a transition element to things and they started becoming a little more successful. So, but going back to our topic, no, I don't think our, our, our philosophy should be based on we run a lot. And I think um, Nick Nurse pointed this out in one of the interview clips they did during the game is that, yeah, we're spending a lot of time on half court offense because I think he recognizes what a sore spot that is for this team and um, I think Raptor fans, if you're listening to this, if you're watching the first two games of the season, I think you should feel some comfort that Nick Nurse is trying to address 
the half-court game. And that's why we're seeing some of those possessions that we played earlier with Scotty Barnes in the block, with OG in the block, because those are those are very much designed to be half-court offenses. How often do you see a guy coming in transition and posting up? That's that's not a thing. Like those possessions are there to alleviate our our, our half-court pains. And I think and I think we'll we'll see some success there. It'll be interesting to see when Pascal comes back whether he's able to operate in those areas too. Because last year. You know, we didn't see too much of him there, but maybe this year, given that Lowry's not there, the offense has kind of gone down. Maybe that's the dimension he adds to his game. I'm very excited for that because when we think about Pascal, the initial burst onto the scene was a guy who was cutting off of movement or attacking closeouts and was incredible doing so, like shoot 74% at the rim, getting to the rim with regularity off of, you know, other guys, you know, drawing attention. And then the frustrations was that, People couldn't emulate his skill set that had worked so well off ball when he was creating advantages on ball. And if Scotty and if OG, you know, Scotty is going to create some advantages this year, but he's also a rookie. He's not going to shoulder the offense like it's it's not going to be that. But OG and Scotty can approximate some level of advantage creation for the Raptors. And once Pascal is back, it'll be interesting to see how much of what he does slots in off the ball. Uh, I was going to ask you, if you don't like transition in basketball, do you like counterattack uh, play in like uh, football? Uh, again, um, you know, as a, some people maybe know this as an Arsenal fan, uh, between 2004 to 2000 and whatever, you mean 2010, 12, even up until now, really, until the last few years, we relied heavily on counterattack play. Uh, you know, like possession, possession football was good, but then we ride heavily on counterattack and that didn't go anywhere because for counterattack, you need, we're talking soccer now, by the way, <laughs> for, for counterattack, you need link up play. Like you need a midfielder who can turn in the middle, kind of catch, navigate, and you need wings on the right. It worked great when you had Henri and Burkamp and Vieira in the middle, maybe with Fabregas in the middle, it worked with Arsenal. But as soon as you saw the talent level go down in midfield, it didn't really matter who you had on the wings. It's almost like you need all four. You need the defense to win the ball. You need the link-up play, and you need the wings, and then that strategy works. If any of those pieces are missing, it's like a car with, like, a flat tire. Like, it'll get you, but it'll just it'll just be clunky. It's not, it's not going to feel right, and it, you're probably not going to get on time to where you're supposed to go. Um, but, that, but that's an interesting analogy. Um, but but there are teams like Man City and all that that adopt a counter counterattacking style of play and and you know you know invite it and have a lot of success. But going back to the previous point, they have the talent. If you yeah. have the talent, you can do it. If you're lacking the talent, that becomes you're playing into the hands of teams because you're you're essentially going into arenas and thinking you can beat teams at their game, which is what they want you to think. Yeah, uh, Donald Benton. What did you think? Because uh, off the top of my head, like, you know, there there was a bit of optimism because there's wild swings in the fan base game to game, especially preseason, because not everybody watches summer league. Not everybody watches preseason, but a larger percentage of people do. And so Delano Batten coming out and like Magic Johnsoning coast to coast and like finger rolling and stuff like that uh, and getting a couple blocks, like sneaky blocks and help side and stuff like that. That was really cool. And to see him, you know, a wide array of passes were made relative to the amount of time he played in game one. Game two, he snaked a pick and roll 
in a very smooth fashion, like almost similar to Paul George. And Paul George is way smoother than anybody with his physical profile should be. But also, right after he snaked the pick and roll, the defender just came up to him and ripped the ball out of his hands, which is like the, the Delano Banton experience in a nutshell because it is it is this tantalizing prospect of like, wow, this guy is incredibly smooth for how big he is, but he's also like rail thin, and this guy just ripped the ball out of his hands. And that should just never, ever happen in a one-on-one situation. That is a nightmare. And then he had another one where he had like this really smooth hezzy and then a drop dribble into these long steps where he finished at the rim. It was a goaltend, but it's tantalizing. What have you thought of him so far? Uh, Well, he has a high dribble. Uh, I think that's his main uh, weakness right now. And, you know, you made the point earlier about Scotty Barnes, like taking two steps over, then realizing that, oh, he's still still three feet away from where he's supposed to be in college, you know, or where he was in college. I think you can apply a similar sort of mode of thinking to Delano Banton as well, where where you can get away with a high dribble in certain situations. You can sort of spin your way out of trouble in college. Here, guys are stronger. They anticipate better. And you're 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 gonna you're you're gonna turn the ball over, which is what the Raptors did today. So, you know, par for the course in terms of expectation. Man, he has. But but leaving aside some of the plays and and all that, Jesus, man. Like you know, you, you made the Magic Johnson comparison, and obviously that 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 that's a that's a bit of a joke. I think Kelsey made a you know a tweet. She goes like, "I'm gonna ask Nick Nurse whether Delano Bandon is the next Kawhi Leonard." Oh, um, oh sorry, uh, Kevin Durant. I am super excited about the guy because it's his it's it's his second preseason game. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm excited about him. He looks up. His head is not down. Mm-hmm. He he is looking up at all times, and that's why he's not paying full attention to the ball because nobody in college probably stole the ball from him, and he and he could afford to look up and like navigate. He's doing the same thing here, but maybe he'll realize he needs to tighten his dribble so that he can look up. Right, um, you know, when when you look up, you you have less control of the ball, but when you look down, you have more control of the ball. You know, if you're if you're referencing that aspect of his game, you probably remember the exact play from the game where he's coming across, dribbling to his right, and you can see with a live dribble yeah. while he's being guarded, he's urging Champagne to make the cut across him on the baseline, mm-hmm. and he leaves his feet too early. But the whole time he has a live dribble a six foot nine guy and he's urging movement from his teammates and he still ended up making the pass. It went out of bounds after some hubbub. But I mean, when you're that big, like Kyle Anderson was an incredible playmaker for the Grizzlies. Well, just a really good player for the Grizzlies last year, length and playmaking. It doesn't even have to be fast and it can be really good. But Banton is also quite rapid. And so, and you know, he recognizes stuff quite, quite frequently on the forest you know, referencing your heads up comments. So I, I'm very excited for whatever he develops into. There's a lot of like sleeping dragon qualities of his game. Just hit on one of them. I mean, you can hit on all of them and we'll talk about whatever that is, but just hit on one of them and you're already, you're good in the NBA and you'll play like a few years and get a couple contracts. Like how often do you see a second rounder coming in and navigating the offense and urging his teammates to be in the right position? Um, when you see him do that, you know, the play that you're talking about, and then when you described it, like the most exciting part about that is, is him actually sort of playing quarterback for the team and telling Champagne that, hey, you're supposed to be over there cut across. Usually rookies come in and they, they try to fit in. They, they, whatever system that exists, they see, okay, where can I kind of sort of fit in where, where I won't bother too much. I'll, I'll find my place here. But this guy's coming in and he's saying, this is a system we're playing when I'm on the court. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, 
next level thinking for a uh, for a point guard, basically, which is which is what he's been playing so far. So I'm excited about his, his mentality, his his skill, his size. Uh, the ball handling, I think, will just naturally improve. Uh, everything will naturally improve with, with with some of these guys. And if you're a Raptor fan, man, there's there's plenty of reason to be excited. I mean, we, we may, I don't know what your win prediction was in the if you did the RR roundtable, but I, I ended up at uh, you know around 40 41 wins. I think that I think you can have an exciting season with 41 wins this year. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Lewis and I did win predictions on the podcast we did. I was at 34, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, th- I think he went 42 and 40, Lewis did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And he was, he was shocked that I was saying that. And I was like, well, man, like the offense is going to be hell until Pascal and Boucher are there. Cause, you know, the Raptors don't, you can see it in these games too. They don't have a pick and roll game in the mm-hmm. NBA. The Raptors don't have a pick and roll game. That is, uh, that is tough. You like as much as it was cool to see the first basket of the preseason was a low post possession for Scotty Barnes and a nice 45 cut from Drogic, and to see that emulated with other players that have plugged in, like hell yeah, new offense from new places. But if you can't score in the pick and roll in the NBA, every possession is going to seem like death until it's a broken play and somebody's making, you know, a great read against a moving defense, which is a lot of what the Raptors have been doing in the preseason, by the way, like something gets fumbled, the defense overcorrects and then advantage created that way. It's super unorthodox, but it isn't as dependable as, you know, the pick and roll game. Uh, Fred is going to have to shoot a lot of pull-up threes and he's a really good pull-up shooter. Uh, And there's also some, you know, more advanced, not publicly accessible metrics that recognize him as, you know, somebody who might really pop off in that regard. But it's like he's going to have to hit a lot of those if the Raptors are going to stay afloat in the early part of the season. It's yeah. it, it'll be funky. That that, that that doesn't thrill me. That that's not thrilling <laughs> no. at all. Uh, it's it, Fred shooting because when Fred is shooting long threes, usually it's usually because the shot clock is running down and he hasn't found a and he hasn't found a play to make. That, that's not, I mean, there's a Fred three where somebody's kicking out to him and he's shooting, like the clip we played with OG with the offensive rebound and all that. Good Fred three. Bad Fred three is when he's like, you can tell with like six seconds, he's moving away from the rim, trying to create space because he can't shoot over, over a guy because he might get blocked. Grant Williams is in your head, Boston, isn't it? Like game seven? <laughs> you know, I was talking to Vivek. Uh, Wait, the- and, and, you know, I, I, I asked him, because he he apparently they, he attends the um the post game press conference and all that and and I'm like you you should ask nurse what percentage of possessions does or what percentage of time does he see Fred navigating the offense versus playing off the ball because I I, I think he may just be more valuable based on today's game especially he may be more effective just as a spot up shooter. More than he is running the running the offense. When Siakam comes back and everybody sort of improves their ball handling, it just might come to that. What, what do you think? Yeah, this is something I've written about this like at length. Uh, I rec- I I made the comp last year. Like Fred to me seems like Clay Thompson with a little bit more expansive dribble game and a little bit more limited jumper, and because he's not as tall. And he has a lower pickup point, so he's not as rapid getting the shot up on a catch and shoot. But Fred is a really, really high level defender, the same way Clay is. And he is at his best when he's playing off the ball and as a catch and shoot guy. He's been a remarkably efficient and consistent catch and shoot guy for years now. 
And when he first broke onto the scene was the net rating God. It wasn't because he was, you know, taking spoonfuls of pick and roll possessions and having these sleek little pocket passes and finding guys on the roll. No. Did he, when they were playing in Japan for the preseason games, show a little bit more vision and as far as like gnashing the pick and roll to get, you know, to urge guys into different spaces and to get the defense moving? Totally. He's worked on his pick and roll craft. Does that mean he's above average at it and that you can put an NBA offense on his shoulders? Absolutely not. The best version of the Raptors features Fred Van Vliet aggressively off ball. Uh, and the past year has been Fred Van Vliet aggressively on ball, which speaks to the limitations of this drought heavy offense, which we're obviously going to be subjected to this year. Is he doesn't create shots at the rim for himself or for teammates. So what do you get? A lot of threes. And that's why last year it seemed like, oh, hell yeah, they hit like 14 threes in the first half, like they're running away with this. And then they go three for 20 in the second half and they lose at the end of the game. And you're like, this season is from hell. What is going on here? It's, uh, yeah, kind of hairy. Yeah, I, and I was trying to think like when you were talking, you know, on Fred, on, on who is our best pick and roll combination? Like what guard and what big make up our most effective pick and roll combination? And Pascal on ball and Fred screening, to be honest, <laughs> you know, well, he's got the, he's got the center of gravity to actually screen right. well. So that's not too far from the truth, but yeah, I mean, I would ball handler to me. It's easily Pascal easily mm -hmm. uh, because um, as much as dribbling is important out of a pick and roll passing is too. And Pascal can just look over the defense and pass Fred just cannot do that. And if, if I'm, I'd be a little worried with him uh, handling the rock and running tight pick and roll, especially, um, you know, maybe he can get away with it, like beyond the three point line where there's lots of space. Mm -hmm. But if you're running it like at the elbow in those tight quarters, that's it, a reset. It's you like have to from reset. jump. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a reset. Yeah, the high pick and roll. I, especially like drag screens are pretty good for Fred in transition because he doesn't pass in transition anyway. So you might as well get him an open shot because he's, he's going to end up taking it either from three or at the rim, tossing it up like a crazy person. But Pascal has returned positive, highly positive pick and roll numbers for two years now, and they still will not go to that place. So I don't know if it looks terrible in practice or Nick nurse just doesn't like what that looks like. I don't know, but he has, an okay amount of volume with really high points per possession. And they still, they seem to never run it for him. They just want an isolation at the 45 extended. And I don't know if that's Pascal asking for that, or if that's, you know, the coaches, upper management, whatever, dictating well, it. That also might be because you also had Kyle on the floor. And now that he's gone, you've sort of taken away an option as a ball handler. So maybe Pascal gets more forced into it because you don't naturally have one. But then again, we just finished talking about Svi earlier. And, uh, you know, so maybe, yeah, I mean, it's an open question. Honestly, I, I don't know the answer to it or, or what Nurse is thinking. Um, just from a personal excitement perspective, I would love to see Siakam just handle the rock more because I think, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about um, uh, Barnes getting reps. I, I think Siakam needs reps in ball handling. Uh, I, I don't think we're close to seeing what his full potential is in terms of a, of a creator. And I hope he gets the opportunity. And I, I mean, you, you probably follow the stats better. I mean, I'm guessing his possessions as a ball handler increased significantly last year than the, than the year before. Uh, no, not actually. Not, not no? from what I know about it. It was, it was relatively the same. They're both hovering around the 90th percentile. 
which 90th percentile is really freaking good. Uh, I think Fred uh, in 2019-20 was around like 30th. And last year, I think he was like 46th percentile. And while that's, you know, heavy volume on middling return is not such a bad thing in the NBA. It provides the bedrock for guys like OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. to come in and shoot 40% off, you know, closeouts and stuff like that. And then you start punching up at a little bit better of an offense. But yeah, man, if you, if you can get Pascal with a lot of pick and rolls this year, and I, I agree with you as well, like when you say that you don't think Pascal has reached his, his potential, I don't think so either. I mean, you could find now passing metrics, like playma- playmaking metrics aren't super popular now. But you like if you go to a quality shot quality created metrics as far as Pascal Siakam, he's well above the 90th percentile. He was creating some of the best shots in the NBA last year. It's just and I called Aaron Baines like a Mario Kart thwomp that comes down on you when you're driving. Like that the was blue what thing was or the red thing, the blue or red thing, the blue it initially, but now are gray. They look like cement blocks and they go, Ugh, Oh, they I got down. you. Got you. I got you. I got a, you. I got yeah. You. A thwomp that is yeah. only meant to make it difficult to drive basically. Okay. And Pascal created layups, had driving lanes taken away and just had to, had to navigate a sixth defender a lot of the times. And so I'm really excited to see his um, progressions next to a player who's not doing that on offense. I mean, this is a nice little thought from Darren. Uh, Imagine tight handle Banton with Pascal. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I can see that, man. As a guard, that's lengthy. It's ball handling. It's it's got everything. Um, You know, get a decent center. Even Birch, you you could even get away with Birch if these two guys are handling the rock properly. That's a that's something I like. I am absolutely very light on Pascal criticisms. I don't give them out very much. I think he's generally a very underrated player in the NBA and by the Raptors fandom. But Pascal absolutely needs to become a better role man. He is an abysmal role man so far. He doesn't commit to the role. His pacing is really poor. You have to be like really engaged as a role man to maintain the passing lane between you and the guard. Or whoever's running it and he just he couldn't be asked man and so is if he improves that he's going to make quite a few plays uh, much more effective yeah hopefully it, it's funny Fred. because because he has no hesitation it's not that he's afraid to drive because he is aggressive in his drives he does drive to the in one-on-one situations he has no problem attacking the rim sometimes he's often out of control when he's driving to the rim so it's not a it's not a hesitation for, to, to get to, to, to receive contact uh it, it it just might be it hasn't been a point of focus for him yeah it's it's all about when you're on the roll it's all about where you pick up the ball and how you're using your steps that's all it is you'll see guys who they it looks really tough when they finish and that's his drivers too it's all about how you manipulate your pickup point like Shea Gilgis Alexander Raptors fans you know Canadian and Jay should be pretty familiar with his game it seems like a guy who can just if he picks up the ball anywhere inside the three-point line somehow he's getting to the rim and Pascal Siakam is a late picker upper. OG Ananobi is an early picker upper. And just you see how those things affect like their driving game and stuff like that and their their balance, their center of gravity as they're driving to the rim and stuff like that. And yeah, Pascal's steps have been pretty good as a driver. As a role man, they are bad. Like he leaves himself in no man's land all the time when he when he uh, catches. And I for will, his uh... passing chops should be really good on the short roll, but hasn't been really. 
I will pay more attention to that. I don't think I have paid too much attention to Pascal as a role man in the past. Um, but uh, after hearing you speak, I think uh, I, I might I might focus more there. I, I, I think you, you, may, you may have a pretty good point. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back about Pascal possessions as a role man. And you're right. I can't think of too many. No, he OG Ananobi is a far superior role man to Pascal currently. And that's also why I wanted... <laughs> God, did I want Rashawn Holmes? Because I just wanted somebody to be able to roll to the bucket with authority. And Boucher is good. Boucher is, you know, an above average role man, but he's also injured. So, yeah, this the pick and roll stuff should be pretty hairy, as it was in this game. Sands, Malachi Flynn working out different combinations with a few guys. But, yeah, the, the pick and roll stuff, I hope it progresses a little bit in the preseason game and guys start to get a little bit more chemistry because... Precious Achua, who we, you know, lathered a bit of praise on earlier in this uh, marathon podcast, reaction podcast we're doing, uh, he he hasn't shown really anything as a role man either. So if something pops off, then something pops off. But there are currently no uh, numbers that indicate anything. But we're working with low volume anyway. With quite I'm trying to think of who our current best role man is. And I don't know why, but I'm blanking out. Scotty Barnes? Well, he had a hell of a role today, like yeah. that slip. Yeah, and uh, I, think I have it. I think I have it here. I got it. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Not only not only did he have an incredibly well timed slip, but he has really well timed cuts. So if we're just gonna say that he has a skill for finding space on the floor, it might as well apply to pick and roll. I mean, like look at that. Look at that. Ooh, reroute, hook pass, dunk. Oh, that's really nice. I was really happy when I saw that play. Yes. Yeah. Apologies yeah. to TSN for the highlights. Don't sue us. We don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> also, Nyang, he jumped so far out on that. Like, he thought he was Chris Bosch in 2012. Like, he thought he was going to push Malachi to half court, and that just wasn't the case. You, you know, uh, I, mean, I think you you do it, you know, the uh, you call it the, the, the opposing team's worst guy, or the most annoying guy. Who, who was it? The... The Knicks, you have an award oh, named Mitchell, after the Mitchell Robinson Award. The Mitchell yeah. Robinson, he was yeah. the Mitchell Robinson Award winner today. I hope for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you uh do you have a Reggie Evans Award winner? But that's for uh Reggie Evans Award is for our own team, right? Yeah, it's the uh, the hustle uh, guy. Yeah, you know, uh, you, uh, obviously uh, you remember Champagne, Champagne, Champagne. I'll give it to Champagne. Yeah. There are guys who just you know they're gonna win the award a lot. And uh, that's, yeah, he definitely, if he's on the team, and Utah will as well, uh, no doubt. Uh, I'll read the top quick reaction comment, actually, and uh, we'll discuss that. So from Niagara underscore dude, the fact is losing games in the preseason is sometimes a good thing for a young team. This gives nurse and assistants teachable moments before the bullets are flying for real once the regular season begins. Loved what we saw from OG, who I believe should be our 1A or 1B option even after Siakam returns. This team will go much further and have success if Nurse can find a balance between featuring both OG and Siakam as co-number ones. OG currently has one of the most team-friendly contracts in the NBA and looks like rather than complaining to me... Oh, this is Ben Simmons. Uh, looks like rather than complaining to media about his role, he has been putting in the work and results have shown in first two preseason games. Uh, yeah, Niagara dude, uh, thanks for writing in. I do think this is one of... You know, this, this post was really popular on Twitter when I talked to... PD Webb, who is now the head of uh, research and development uh, with Cerebro, a scouting agency. And uh, he talked about how he wanted OG Ananobi to be seen as 
a pseudo primary or a primary this year. And a lot of people really liked that. But a lot of people really disagreed with that because OG looks different than every primary you've ever seen before in your life. He is absolutely offbeat relative to a guy like Trey Young or Jason Tatum or anybody who Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, like Kawhi is a little bit different than a lot of the guys who operate in the same sphere as him. But OG is a giant step farther away from that. Like he is a very strange collection of talents and a guy who finds success in spite or because of them, whatever it is, it's, you know, it pays to be offbeat in the NBA. Ask like Luis Scola who played forever and uh, you know, a bunch of other guys, but uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'm glad you you recognize that OG could be a sleeping dragon and that there's a lot of potential there. I do think the best version of the Raptors does reside with a harmony of figuring out and maximizing OG and Pascal. And by virtue of that, really making a strong connection with uh, Fred Van Vliet off-ball because Fred Van Vliet off-ball is really potent and something that will be back-breaking for defenses particularly if he's not the one taking the last shot and trying to create off the dribble and stuff like that as far as like the ben simmons shot i'm actually this won't be popular with raptors fans but i think i am i'm not like pro ben simmons but he's not getting the money so he's just saying you guys talk trash about me for like four months you blamed everything on me even though i was a positive player in the playoffs like you know, we, we, we weren't going to win the chip anyway, but you guys talk trash about me for like four months. I don't want to play there. And he's giving up his contract, so he's not getting paid. So if he doesn't want to be there, it's the same right you would exercise as a worker wherever you are. Like if Zerar looks at me and starts saying, Sam is so bad at the Raptor Reaction podcast and all that kind of stuff, I would say, well, I don't want to do it anymore. And if I'm not like just stealing money, just taking the money from it and leaving, then you guys would be like, well, that's your right. And I think Ben Simmons, you know, this is like young person labor stuff I'm talking about, of course. But uh, I, yeah, that's that's his right to not want to play with an organization that was trash talking him for like months and months, you know. Um, I mean, I'm with you on the Ben. I mean, uh, do you? I mean, this thing <laughs> published today. I mean, you know, I saw it in the drafts a couple of days back, and. You know, shit, man. I mean, I, I read this part, you know, this part right here. Like, it's hard to trust in Masai. And, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm never, you know, and, and Tim W. Well, we go back 10 years. I mean, so this is fine. Um, it, it's, you may, you may disagree with Masai. You, you may think some of his moves may be weird or whatever, but... You can't just say it's hard to trust in Masai when he's the only guy. He gave us a chip. To me, getting a chip into the city automatically gives you five years of do whatever the fuck you want. Teflon. Whatever you want. You, you want to you trade Pascal Siakam for Rishon Holmes? Go do it, man. It's your right to do it because you have won a chip. So there, there's, there's something that, and I think already we've seen with this 6'9 length and strength model, that he's onto something here. He's definitely onto something. It, it may not be a a product which is proven yet, but it's certainly worth trying. Uh, and when I when I looked at this article and I and I saw the the, the two trades that being that that were uh, proposed here, uh, well, this one just is a, is a non-starter for me. 
just non-starter. You're giving up Pascal Siakam. You're giving up to me a, the better player. And mm-hmm. my historic rule in any play, in any trade is the team that gets the best player wins the trade, no matter what else happens in it. This one, I, I don't even know what this is. Like, who are all these players getting traded? Like, wow. And and then this one, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, Sam, I, I think even even you might be might be sort of convinced to do this one if I um if, if you if you talk through it. Okay, uh, let me let me pull it up on my phone. But okay, it's, if you want if you want to read the first one that you said is a non-starter, by the way, just for the the people who aren't watching this uh, live, I'll I'll okay, go to the. It's, it's it's the Raptors get Ben Simmons, the Sixers get Gordon Hayward, and Terry Rozier. And the Hornets get Danny Green, Pascal Siakam, and Shake Milton. I, I think he threw in Shake Milton only for the salaries. I think half these players are only there for the salaries. Bad trade. The only thing you got to pay attention to in this one is that we're losing Pascal Siakam. So, I mean, who cares? The Hornets uh, win the trade, yeah? Like LaMelo Ball, P.J. Washington, Pascal Siakam, Miles Bridges. That's all super, super fun stuff. That like that that Hornets team, especially with that Hornets announcer, would just be buck wild, dude. That would be like that would be one of the most fun teams to watch in the league, and they already are. The Hornets make this trade in, in, in yeah. an heartbeat. Yeah, totally. They do. About it, right? And this one. Okay. I mean, yes, the second trade I would do. The Absolutely. second the second yeah, trade, trade is something that I would do. But there was a rumor today that that they might be open to Levert, uh, and that would be good enough for them, and maybe some 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 other thing thrown in there. Um, personally, depending on how much they value Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet, I can see the Sixers sort of biting at this one um, because they don't really have you know a great point guard right now. Uh, so it it does it does work for them if they want to contend this year. This trade is something that I could possibly I, I will probably get behind this one. I would do so, that. So for the listener, it's Ben Simmons going to the Raptors and the 76ers receiving Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, I would I would do that trade because I think Ben Simmons is a little bit better than uh Fred Van Vliet and I think that Gary Trent Jr. is perhaps a moderate upgrade on what Svi will be this year. I you know with shot makers, they can they can get way overpaid or way underpaid or, you know, their, their contracts can be team friendly or not team friendly, whatever. But uh, Gary Trent Jr. And Fred Van Vliet, I would trade for Ben Simmons in a heartbeat. I don't think the 76ers would take that though. Uh, mm. But well, 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 they had, they had another trade that, that uh, people were talking about. Sixers trade. I don't know. It was a, uh, what was it? This, this, this is the one they were talking right today. Uh, the oh, the Levert. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, you know, take your pick. What's the better package here? Um, anyways, we're, we're we're way off topic on the reaction <laughs> podcast, man. Like, wait, you? Yeah. Okay. But it's preseason, so you know, yeah. people just want to, you know, hear about basketball anyway. I, I would assume. Um, I didn't have any, you know, my my reaction podcast from game one was obviously a lot more succinct than this one, but was also there was basically no narrative to the game. It was just me walking through what I thought of, you know, how each player played. You, which you is... were also alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I would, if I were the 76ers and this is maybe Raptors bias, but, and I am actually a guy who 
has written about Levert in the past, and I really do like Karis Levert a lot, but I would much rather uh, Fred Van Vliet than uh, Karis Levert because I think Fred is a better player. Now, you know, whether you're kind of worried about Fred's size in the playoffs and him getting swallowed up in the middle of defenses, I don't know, but that's going to happen to Ben Simmons anyway, and he can't space the floor like Fred can. So, And Ben, ben is a better defender, but, you know, it depends what kind of defense you like because Fred is an exceptional perimeter defender and certain types of help side defense he's really good at because it's preventative help side defense, not uh, protective help side defense. Like Marcus Gasol is protective help side defense. He's coming over to the rim. He's going to change the shot. You know, he's going to change hundreds of shots over the course of the season and you're going to defend the rim better. Fred Van Vliet is going to get the guy with a dig down with those heavy, heavy hands of his. And it's a preventative type of help side defense. And he's going to get you going and transition the other way. And you can value things differently, of course. But uh, Fred's a really good defender, but just maybe a little bit worse than Ben. So, yeah, I would do that. And it's because I view, I don't view Gary Trent Jr. as like, he's a, he's a human being and he makes money and like good for him. <laughs> but I don't view him as a positive asset. Like if you look at OG Ananobi, any team in the league would be very, very horny to get him for like $18 million. He's an incredible, he's on an incredibly friend, team friendly deal. And Gary Trent Jr. I think is just not. He's, so, he's, he's, he's 22, man. He's 22. That's, 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 like this, that's a pretty long call you're making there on, on his future at 22. 22. I am. He doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't draw free throws. He had six drives tonight. None of them got below the free throw line. That part of his game will not change. The only avenue for him to get easy shots off his own dribble is to become a grifter because he isn't athletic enough. And I don't think that's something he'll develop from like 22 to 26. I just, he'll never get to the rim. So you have to think, well, how does this guy improve? And he just has to shoot better. How far do you, how far does that go up? right? Like how often do guys shoot better than like 43% from three on high volume? Not very often. He'll be like a 40% three point shooter. I think like Gary Trent will, but as far as the avenues he has given, like what he's able to do, I don't know, man. I mean, what was Damar at 22? Yeah. But Damar was like huge for his position and also is one of the best, like he was getting to the rim at very high levels at 22. Yes, totally he was. At 22, he was uh, embarrassing himself in the paint a lot by getting stuffed around a lot. But I he mean, was in the paint. He, he was, was in, in the paint. paint, though. Okay, so he, he's getting credit for being in the paint. Okay, okay. Totally. Okay. That's that's something like all scouts look for is like how often a guy gets two feet in the paint. Mm-hmm. That's like a very common thing is like how often they get two feet in the paint, draw the defense in, cause rotation. And then you scale up from there. Gary Trent Jr., like when we were talking about the play that was going on earlier, the defense didn't move because they're like, there's no way he's getting past his man and he's going to shoot. So the defense, it's one-on-one, mm-hmm. but it's just, that's all it is. And it's one-on-one outside of the, out of the paint because he's not going to get there. Like that, that is Gary Trent Jr. Uh, I, I'm, I can't disagree with uh, anything you're saying because we're talking about Gary Trent Jr. at 22. Uh, I think he has a couple of steps in his game that I would expect to develop. I, I think he's a, well, number one, I think he can be a much better scorer. 
Do, do you agree with that one, that his scoring efficiency will improve? Regardless of where he's getting the shots, do you think his scoring efficiency will improve, his output will Im- improve over time? And not just linearly, but not exponentially, but somewhere in the middle. Relative to last year, yes. But he mm-hmm. had a 60% true shooting season with the Trailblazers, and I don't expect him to really ever recreate that if he's taking more on-ball reps. If he's a guy who's still getting mostly assisted threes and that's like the heaviest part of his shot diet, then yeah, like he'll, he'll be above average efficiency. But as far as what he creates for himself, yeah, guys plateau all the time. Like guys, even, even young guys plateau all the time. And he's already developed a lot of the skill parts of his game. That's the thing is that he is actually a fairly skilled player at what he goes to, like the step backs, the side steps, the pound dribble into space, all that kind of stuff. That is something he is skilled at. So he's not short on skill. He's short on being able to leverage advantages for himself and others. Okay, and so, so here- he'll have more counters probably in the future. But as far as getting defenders really worried, like with a first step into the lane, I don't think so. No, no, I, I don't. I, I think his biggest area of growth is in free throws attempted. He he needs to figure out how to, what is he averaging? 1.8. Yes, right? his free throw rate is really low. It, it's low. It's low. And, 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 I, and I think when the Raptors signed him to a deal, I think they probably would have had a conversation that, you know, 1.8 this year, the year before it was 0.6. So I could say he, he has his free throw rate has gone up by 300%. <laughs> okay. So we got, we got some data to back up the, the, some, some, some positive feelings about him, but, but I, but I hear you like, yes, he's a little slim. He doesn't absorb physical contact. Well, he does rely on one-on-one play a lot. Um, but I also think he's 22 and I think he, he, he will get a little bigger. I think his free throw rate might go up to five, six, even, uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to, 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 to think that. Um, would I trade him for Ben Simmons? Yeah, man, for sure. If that's what we're talking about, then yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I do, but, but I'm definitely more positive about him than you are. And I'm, I finally saw like one comment, gee, thank you. <laughs> every, every other comment on Gary Trent Jr. is just like pure negative. And I found one that was like, uh, oh, there, there's one more. There's one more. Here we go. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I, Gary Trent Jr. I feel like is a player. I understand. I, I do feel I understand a lot of the Raptors players like very well. And I think I have a really good beat on his game. But to, to draw free throws, you need to compromise the defense. Like the reason why Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler have such absurd free throw rates, and particularly Jimmy Butler, who set the record, is because he's getting into spots where the defense has to adjust and has to like clamber back into the play. But you can be pretty static. And like Gary Trent Jr. is going to shoot regardless. Like the, his first mid-range jumper of the game, the lane was open. He had two guys behind him, but he was like, let me get this mid-range jumper. And yeah, I this is belabored because I'm being like a butthead totally. And yes, he's young, but also uh, indicators are more important than age, I think. His free throw rate is pretty bad. It's what, like there's, one, I have 140. A, it's, it's 140. And I'm trying to think of Kyle's free throw rate in his first first year. 
and it's like stupid. It's like 74%. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So, I mean, yeah, compared to Kyle, his pizza rate sucks, man. Well, yeah, I compared him to Kyle and Jimmy, yeah, who good. are incredible, like top, top grifters the world over. Nobody does it like him. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm very low on Gary Trent Jr. Oh, I know, I know. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can shoot it, man. Good shooters are important. All right, man. I think I gotta go finish watching Squid Game. Hey, that show slaps. Don't, I watched it all. I watched it all in like two days. I was. Don't uh, don't spoil it, man. Don't. I won't. It. I would never. I okay. would never. Okay. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, did anybody did the Reggie Perry minutes move you or anything man, like that? We still have like you know, kudos to the hundred people who have stuck around watching this. My God, you guys. Yeah, on a preseason game, game two, on a loss to in Philly when most of the team wasn't even there. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I, I don't have anything else to uh, cover. Um, I think I covered all my points. Are there any clips that I wanted to show? Let me just check my clip backlog here. Uh, well, here's a here's a you know just a clip of like you know we talked about this. The Raptors just the Drummond being a problem. He's so big. Any big guy will just walk his way to the rim. So uh, this is something just to be aware of, man. I think we got to wait for Kemperidge to come back and see um, how he can help in situations like these. But until then, uh, you know, I fully expect this to happen a fair bit. And Drummond's not even a talented offensive center. As soon as you run into people like Embiid and those guys, you know, I, I shudder to think what might happen there. Yeah, the the Seventy Sixers were pretty. They were they were okay with just kind of having Embiid kind of cakewalk through the game and. When he wanted to get a bucket, he really shoved his way down on the post and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I do wonder, especially in pick and roll defense, how effective Precious and Cam Birch can be um, because it requires a lot of footwork and you have to work really hard to take away angles. And it depends who's on the weak side, like how aggressive tagging the roller they're going to be. And if that results in a lot more three-point shots given up, but above the break three-point shots... I, I'm I'm interested to see what their defensive uh, philosophy is with that. Mm-hmm. But here's we'll a here's a four-leafed clover for you. <laughs> Rare sight, but let's celebrate it because it doesn't happen that frequently. Uh, this is uh, this is the Fred play where he actually went down to the paint and pulled like a basically a Kobe move here. Look at this. Oh yeah. Look at this. Look at this guy just fading <laughs> for the two. So nice, we got to see it twice. I mean, uh, I mean, let's we, we did crap on him earlier in the show, so let's yeah. let's end off with a little bit of positive for Fred. That yeah, that was so good. It was like a fantastic recognition that Joel Embiid wasn't playing him; he was playing him to the sideline. So he knew as soon as I get to this point, I just get to pull up and everything's fine, everything's cool. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, all right, let's okay. uh, let's, let's wrap, wrap this up, brother. It's your show. You got to wrap it up. Oh yeah. Yeah. My show. <laughs> this this just feels like more of a just a candid conversation <laughs> than anything. And I guess a bunch of people tuned in for it. Thank you for tuning in as far as like the wrap up live and for the podcast and the listeners. Thanks for uh, indulging Zarar and I on an hour and a half of uh, basketball talk. And well, I guess like an hour 26 on basketball talk, two and a half on counterattack philosophy in football. And I guess like 12 minutes of that pertained to the game that happened tonight. So thanks for tuning in, Zarar. Thanks for, thanks for joining me, brother.